and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations about how we can challenge corporate monopolies and expand the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Jess Delfiaco, the host of Building Local Power and Communications Manager here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. For more than 45 years, ILSR has worked to build thriving, equitable communities where power, wealth, and accountability remain in local hands. Hello, today I am joined by several of my colleagues from ILSR's community broadband team. We've got Rye Mercatilio-McCracken, who is a senior researcher, Sean Gonsalves, who's a senior reporter and editor, and I I know I'm giving slightly shortened versions of your titles, but I'm I'm trying to keep it succinct. They do lots of things, but that's Sean and Rye, and then we also have Christine Parker, who is a GIS and data visualization specialist on the broadband team. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for Thank having you. us again. I'm also the cheese connoisseur of the team. Uh, I forgot the most important title of them all. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to talk about today, well, we're going to cover a few different things. First, we're going to talk about a new resource about digital equity that ILSR has put together. It's actually a series of different fact sheets. And we're also going to talk about broadband mapping and how maps are, in some cases for better and in some cases for worse, influencing who and where gets broadband funding. So I think we're going to start things off with Sean. Can you tell us a little bit about the the moment that we are in for broadband? I, as There's always a lot going on with broadband, but like right now, it seems like we've got particularly huge new buckets of funding and just, you know, let us know where we're at, what's going on. Exactly. You, you, you said it pretty well. And I think where, where we are is, of course, after the pandemic and, or I should say at the start of the pandemic, it really opened many people's eyes to the fact that broadband is a essentially a utility. It's almost as important as electricity and water. High-speed internet access is just so vital. It touches on just about every aspect of life. And of course, when folks were working remotely and doing distance learning, it really brought it front and center for a lot of local communities who overnight had to deal with in, you know, in some locales, you know, thousands of students who couldn't do distance learning or were driving to Taco Bell parking lots to try to do schoolwork and, and things of that nature to get, you know, on, on Taco Bell Wi-Fi. And so it really brought to the fore the need for what I call the broadbandification of the United States. And that's kind of where we are. And that, that need has been recognized at the highest levels of government. And so you had the American Rescue Plan Act and more recently, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And in both of those pieces of federal legislation are tens of billions of dollars that can be used to deploy new broadband networks, to fund digital equity initiatives, digital inclusion work. And so right now, in both the American Rescue Plan and the forthcoming money in the infrastructure bill, states are gearing up to receive these huge buckets of of cash, essentially, for the purposes of make high-speed internet ubiquitous, reliable, and affordable. And so states all across the country are establishing state broadband offices and grant programs. And so there are hundreds of communities who are now, in addition to the hundreds of communities who've already built these networks and were far ahead of where some communities are trying to play catch up, There's hundreds of communities now who are seriously considering building locally accountable, publicly owned broadband infrastructure in their communities. And so there's now all of this attention. And part of what we've been up to is not only tracking 
the progress of various communities in terms of planning and funding and so forth. There's all these various tools out there, out, out there and some of which we're, we are creating that we think can be tremendously useful for local communities. And that's the, some of the stuff that I think that we'll get in today. One thing I ought to mention is also in this context, uh, earlier this week, there was an announcement made about a new advocacy group that was formed. It's called the American Association of Public Broadband, and it is an advocacy organization for ran by and, and really for local officials who are in charge of local broadband projects. And so it's an advocacy organization that is going to be advocating on behalf of local publicly owned broadband infrastructure. There's, you know, at, at the press conference, Bob Knight, one of the board members, talked about that it's going to be, they're sort of model agnostic, which means that they're, they're, they're advocating for local municipalities in terms of if they wanted to partner even with a large internet service provider, of course, for municipal networks where you're, you're, where you're building, owning, and operating the network as a municipality, or advocating for public-private partnerships. And it's an organization that's very much needed because when, those, when the American Rescue Plan Act was being formed and the infrastructure bill was being formed, lawmakers almost exclusively heard from the big telecom lobby who spend on the order of about $8 million a week in DC. So this was, this is an organization that's very much needed and is very now, it's very much now available for local leaders to, to tap into and to become members of, to advocate on their issues from a local perspective. So if we happen to have a listener who is a local official or who is involved with their local government, how do they, how might they join? Is there a website? Is there a, you know, who, who needs to sign on? So of course, you can go to muninetworks.org and find the story where there's links to their various platforms, but their website is AmericanPublicBroadband.org. And, you know, you can find out all about the officers, what their vision is. There's also a page where you can sign up. There's all the membership information, but it is a much needed organization and certainly as communities are trying to get their feet wet or, or get a better understanding of the lay of the land, and particularly in coordinating with state lawmakers and state broadband offices, it's well worth looking at AmericanPublicBroadband.org. Very cool. Thank you so much, Sean. Rye, I think we're going to turn to you to talk about this new digital equity resource. But first, could you give our listeners a definition of what digital equity means? Like when we say digital equity, what, what different things are we talking about? Sure. I'll crib from the National Digital Inclusion Alliance's definition here because it's so good. Digital equity, broadly speaking, is a multifaceted project to make sure that every single household, every single apartment building, every single senior living center, everyone across the country has access to the information technology capacity that they need to participate fully in society, in democracy, and in the economy. And so um, digital equity is necessary for civic and, and cultural participation. And I'm cribbing right from NDI's website here, lifelong learning, access to essential services, right? Um, all the things that make up being a resident of the United States today and tomorrow. And so they also note here, right, the difference between equity and equality. Using the word digital equity acknowledges that there are historically instantiated and substantial structural barriers to making sure that everybody has access to the internet in an equal way and that we have to work to dismantle those structures, which, which have been in place for a long time. Thank you. I think that's helpful context for folks. 
So these new fact sheets that we've published, can you give an overview of, um, there's, I'm going to guess six of them, five, That's six of them. Oh, great okay. Guess. okay. You'd think I remember since I, you know, just looked at it about an hour ago. Why is it a series and kind of who, who are they for? Sure. So I'm the one talking about these for simplicity's sake, but they were put together by a much larger team, obviously. This was in partnership with AARP's Livable Communities Program, which is a great initiative if anybody listening hasn't heard of them yet. They work directly with cities and local advocates and nonprofits to do things like build age-friendly housing and transportation options and expand access to community services and make sure that residents, you know, of, of all ages in a community have the opportunity to participate fully in community life. And so they give out a lot of small grants all around the country. This fact sheet series was put together in support of their work on connectivity issues. And we had help in writing a few of them from NDIA as well, the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, who does wonderful research and policy and on the ground work related to digital inclusion. So yes, there are six fact sheets and they hit the, the most important issues and policy kind of policy impacts of those issues and the consequences in on the ground for things like building new network infrastructure. Sean mentioned these tens of billions of dollars in federal funds coming down the pipeline, which are going to start flowing to the states theoretically later this year or early next year. And so there's definitely a need for local policymakers who've got a lot of different things on their plate and are looking for maybe a quick primer when when something related to broadband comes around. It seems like if we missed if we messed this up in this moment and not planning for digital equity as all this money's flowing down to us that we'd be, you know, possibly never make up for that missed opportunity. For sure. I you know, it's I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this is a one in, once in a generation amount of money devoted to solving broadband issues, whatever models those solutions ultimately take. But certainly we're not going to see something in the near future. So it's important to get things right now. So we don't waste that money. and We don't waste this opportunity. So this fact sheet series includes kind of a basic introduction to the most important policy and legislative and deployment issues of today, the challenges that communities might face. There's one on what broadband is, how do we define broadband? What are the different challenges when we're talking about access or availability or affordability? There are fact sheets on digital skills and one on expanding device availability too, right? Because when we're talking about digital equity, you know, people talk about a, a three-legged stool. And if you don't have one of those legs built in place, then the stool is just going to fall over. And so it's important not only that people have access to the internet, but that they can afford that access on a monthly basis, but then also that they've got the skills and devices necessary to fully take advantage of that connection. That's great. You mentioned local policymakers, but I was wondering as you created these fact sheets, like, is that the audience you're targeting or like who, when you were thinking about building digital equity in a given community, like who are the key stakeholders that need to be involved in that to, to make it reality? Who might benefit from these fact sheets? Sure. So they're written in a way for anybody to understand. I think local government officials, state legislators and nonprofits will get a lot of mileage out of them. As I mentioned, these are people who are on the ground. They're engaged in local governance right now, and they've got a lot of stuff on their plate, whether it's infrastructure related or not. So we don't expect them to be broadband experts when something comes to their table. So the idea here is that every community is a little bit different. And so whether you're dealing with an affordability issue in a particular neighborhood and you're a nonprofit dedicated to to solving that particular thing, there's something there for you. Or maybe you've got an access problem in, in one part of town you've been trying to, um, maybe your city council or your mayor has been trying to get the ISP in that area to expand access there for a long time. 
you know, there are some real challenges, some of them structural and some of them more easily overcome. And so the fact sheet series breaks, breaks those down in a relatively accessible and understandable way for anybody who needs it. I would just also add, in addition to what Rai is saying, is that while, you know, that particular audience is particularly important, the, you know, some local leaders and, and stakeholders and what have you, well, certainly there are secondary audiences where I think these are extremely useful. I mean, you know, for anybody really who's looking for an introduction to sort of broadband 101, these fact sheets can go a long way in helping folks wrap their mind around the, you know, the different issues that, that are at stake. And, and also, you know, we were also keeping in mind that while it is a, a partnership essentially with AARP, who created a landing page for these as, as, as we did as well, that there is a, also a need to reach folks in my age bracket and older. <laughs> I won't say exactly how old I am, but I'm pretty close to official AARP membership. Maybe I'm even eligible now. I don't, I don't quite know. But the, but the point is, is that there's quite a few Americans who, you know, like myself, who were born in the pre-internet era and some of this stuff is foreign, you know, some of these concepts and, and the importance of it. And one thing in particular, and this is true for all ages, but certainly, you know, as you get on in life and the more you, you may need access to healthcare, there's also, you know, the telehealth piece, which is another important reason for, I, I would say, for broadband adoption. There's, there's a, some real untapped potential there as, as it relates to telehealth and in staying in, in, in your home, as opposed to, you know, in later life, being in some kind of nursing home or, 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 or something along that, you know, I think most Americans, I think we even cite this in one of the fact sheets, prefer to be at home even into their, what we call the golden years. And so there's, there's those audiences as, as well. But we mentioned AARP, but, but certainly the livable communities vision is one about creating communities that are livable for all ages. And I do think that there are sort of the man and woman on the street who may be looking for an introduction to understand some of these things, these fact sheets can be extremely helpful. All right. Thank you guys. Just in case I forget to say it at the end of the show, we will have all these fact sheets linked in the show notes for this episode. So you can find everything at ILSR.org. Don't feel like you need to take notes as we talk necessarily, although you're welcome to do that if you're so inclined. I think we're going to move along and talk with you, Christine, about the work you've been doing around broadband mapping. So I know you recently published this really interesting article for ILSR. It's called the United States of Broadband, and it also features a map, a map of maps, a map of broadband maps across the country. Can you, can you give us first like the bird's eye view of why is mapping so important when it comes to broadband? Sure. This, the genesis of this article and map came together as I was writing the story because the FCC has developed this new broadband data collection and with it will come new maps. And there's a lot we know know yet about this new system. And my intention was to kind of develop a primer on it and what the maps will theoretically look like in the long run and, and what will be different or what will be the same. And as I got further into this project, I found myself kind of wishing that I had a source of all these state maps. And so I could talk about them, others could talk about them so we could know like what's going on across the country. And then, you know, I had one of those wonderful light bulb moments and decided to just dig in and I made a map of maps. So that was kind of the the genesis of this and why the mapping itself is so important. I guess there's, you know, a lot of reasons, but specifically when we're thinking about broadband 
and all the infrastructure money that we've been talking about and hearing about lately is because as I understand it, some of this money is contingent on prioritizing where unserved and underserved locations are. And if we don't know where those are, it's going to be really hard to prioritize where that money is going to go for infrastructure builds. And so that is one step that the states are taking on themselves because this new system that the FCC is working on is kind of up in the air as to when it's going to be available and when we'll see those maps. So the states and Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Ryan Tron, but I believe this is the first time the states will be kind of in charge of issuing these funds in terms of like infrastructure and, and things like that. They'll be making the decisions. And, um, and so it makes sense for them to be taking it upon themselves to get going on making their own maps and whether, rather than waiting for the FCC to publish theirs because we still don't know exactly when that's going to happen. If I could hop in, Christine, yeah, just to add to that. That's all wonderful. And I wanted to just make sure it was clear that the reason some states are jumping in to the to the mapping game is because one of the FCC's central charges is to know where broadband is and is not available around the country and at what speeds, theoretically. This has been their job for many, many years, and they have, generally speaking, done a pretty bad job at it. At the same time that the huge monopoly ISPs around the country have been very successful in confusing and obfuscating the process to protect their monopoly territory. And so there's all this federal money coming down the pipeline. The FCC's current maps have largely not been successful in driving good policy solutions. And so because part of the, a lot of the new money is going to be going through the states, some of those states have said we've had enough from waiting for the FCC. It's time to do this job ourselves. And I just want to provide a quick definition. I'm guessing folks know, but FCC is the Federal Communications Commission. If you're wondering what that stands for. And in terms of unserved and underserved areas, unserved would be areas that have absolutely no internet access options available to them and underserved. So unserved, unserved addresses don't have access to the internet at a speed of 25 by 3 megabits per second, which is what we consider basic broadband today. And then underserved addresses... When we, when we talk about those, we typically mean those that have access to a connection capable of 25.3, but less than 100 by 20 megabits per second. So an unserved address could barely do a Zoom call and an underserved address could do can do some stuff, but can't unlock the, the full potential of right, uh, the internet. Right. And not that, you know, reliability and, and all things about your connectivity you know, as Doug Dawson likes to point out, most people don't really care what speed they have or, or even know what speed they do have. But the reason why these things are important is because they're, they're sort of a, I guess, a ballpark metric in terms of the quality of the connection and, and doing basic things like, so during the pandemic, when people were realizing, oh my goodness, I can't be on a work Zoom call and my child be on a Zoom at the same time. This is the type of stuff that we're talking about. It talks about the quality of the connection and how much information can be downloaded and uploaded. And increasingly, these apps and software that we're using require more and more bandwidth. And so that's the reason why these things are, are, are super important. And you know, as, as both Ryan and Christine pointed out, if we don't know precisely where their connectivity problems are, it's hard to pinpoint where to spend the money and to make, and, and to make wise choices about, about broadband. And one of the reasons why the FCC maps, as an example, have been so notoriously inaccurate is because of the self-reporting of the large internet service providers, which, for example, they can say that if one particular home on, a, on, on, a, in, on an entire census tract theoretically could get service from them, 
previously, that whole entire census tract is considered to be served. In reality, that's not the case. And so this stuff becomes really important when, when, when you, if you want to spend taxpayer money responsibly and really target the areas that need it most. Thank you, guys. I think that was like a little bit of extra helpful context as we're talking about Maps of Maps. We'll be right back after a very short break. Thanks for listening to our show. If you're enjoying this episode, I hope you'll consider heading over to ILSR.org donate to help support our work. Your donations not only make this show possible, but you're also helping support our work across all of our programs to build local power in communities across the country. Head over to ILSR.org donate to contribute today. Any amount is sincerely appreciated. And even if you can't donate right now, you can support us in other ways, such as by rating or reviewing the show over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Those reviews make a huge difference in how we can reach a wider audience. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Christina, I'm wondering if as you were, as you were doing this research and writing this article, is there anything you could point to as far as like what the states are doing that is either like really good, maybe kind of not so good, or just like interesting, interesting different things happening between the states? Yeah, um, so that was something I, I'm, we tried to highlight in the map of maps itself. When you look at it, we have a gradient of green and the darker green, we are highlighting the states that are using something referred to as broadband serviceable locations in their maps. And this, this term just refers to any location premise in the state that could receive an internet connection. It doesn't mean it has it yet, but it could receive it. And so this theoretically should make future maps more accurate because we're not relying on ISPs just to tell us broadly where they're providing service or where they say they're providing service. So theoretically, it, it gives providers guidelines over which they will be illustrating their service areas, if that makes sense. And so something else uh, states are doing, they're reporting, they're using speed test data from households that they're collecting themselves. They're also using a couple national speed test data, open source speed test data sources like UCLA and Measurement Lab. Measurement Lab, yes. So UCLA and Measurement Lab are a couple open source speed tests that the states are pulling data from. Some states are still just using the kind of outdated 477 information from the FCC. And then some other interesting things that I noticed in maps, I believe it was Pennsylvania actually had the power poles across their whole state mapped, which is interesting because um, in some cases, you know, they can overlay the fiber on these power lines and in places where drilling into the ground is not a possibility, overlaying may make things a lot easier and potentially cheaper in my mind, at least. And so it's, it's a really interesting idea, I think, to include those kinds of things. And I don't know that I've seen other states include that yet, but maybe, maybe in future as they see what others are doing. That was the idea here is to like kind of crowdsource the, the mapping ideas. I just wanted to say that, well, what Christine just said is one of the primary reasons that this map of maps exists. I think we hear all the time from people around the country. They know that broadband connectivity is a problem in their state, but they don't know what other states are doing to solve it. And so this is kind of a one-stop shop 
where you can go and look at the map. And at a glance, it tells you not only which states are doing really well and which ones haven't done anything at all. So kind of like a name and shame kind of thing going on there to, to light a fire under people to get going. But they can say, which what the, for the states that are doing a good job, what are they doing that we can copy here? And they can look at Pennsylvania's maps and say, okay, they're not only collecting kind of like location level data or household level data from these providers, but then they're also adding in maybe where state or federal funds have been allocated for projects. And that gives us a more complete picture of where broadband is and isn't in that state. And maybe we can copy that too. And so the map of maps also has a link for each state that is doing something map related that links out to that state's broadband mapping website. So not only do you get to see a description of what that state's doing, but you can say, let's go to that link and let's look at it and see what kind of good stuff we can copy from it and grab some good ideas from over there and bring them over here. Yes, exactly. Hey, very cool. Interesting to hear how the states are learning from each other. Would you say that like, the federal level, is the FCC also looking at what states are doing to inform the updates that they might make? Or are they kind of, it, it sounds like the states aren't necessarily waiting on the FCC. They're like, we're doing our own thing and we're solving this problem. But I'm wondering if there was any like interplay between those two levels. From my perspective, it seems kind of to be happening in tandem. There's a couple companies that have been developing what's known as the fabric. And so it's essentially a layer, a map layer that's displaying these broadband serviceable locations. And these companies have developed their own ways of creating these layers based on a bunch of different data sets like tax maps, spatial imagery, postal address data. And there's some other, a few other sources that they're using to compile and create this location data source. And so some states have already um, kind of already done this before the FCC made this move. They're kind of ahead of the game in that way, like Georgia is a good example. And I believe Montana has done the same thing. And and so it seems to just to be kind of all happening uh, along the same timeline, except the FCC is trying to do it across the whole nation. So naturally, it's going to take a little bit longer because there's just in some of these data uh, data sets, the, there's a lot of detail and there's going to be inherently inherent issues to work out as they, they work through the whole nation's <laughs> address list, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, is, this could be a question for you, Christine, or for Sean or Rye. You all have mentioned a couple of times how the existing maps have been kind of weaponized by the big incumbent ISPs to basically keep competition at bay to keep other providers from, from potentially taking on these underserved territories. And I'm curious if you could talk about, A, like if there's anything else you want to say about what's been happening and also the ways in which these newer maps might prevent that problem or address that, that issue in some ways. I can start. And if you guys want to fill in any blanks I leave behind. Yeah, so the, the current process for ISPs is to submit where they currently provide service and also include locations where or areas where they also could provide service within a reasonable time frame. And I believe the current time frame is something like 10 days. And I think that's a reasonable ask. But the problem with that is that those data, when they're all put together, are indistinguishable from each other. So a given provider map could suggest that you have service. But the reality is 
could be very different when you know a customer buys a house it looks like they could or they should have service there but when they go to make that connection or request a connection it could cost them thousands of dollars to get that connection built out or it may not be possible at all so the reality is often you know unfortunately very different from what we're seeing in the data because of this and unfortunately that particular setup in the in the submission process is not changing and i know um i haven't witnessed it directly but i know others have written about situations where these big monopoly providers have used those data to challenge new broadband projects because they're able to claim that they already provide service in places and so it's problematic for these new providers that would like to start a new service and provide some competition for the local community but the incumbent providers like no we see we already provide that service here so no <laughs> very unfortunate yeah that's the kicker right there right even independent of all the federal money coming down the pipeline there have been state broadband grant programs all around the country for years and years and years and so if you can imagine part of the problem is if a county knows it's got a connectivity problem in like the western half of the county and they've got a local isp that wants to help them solve that problem and they want to put together a couple different pots of money to go out there and connect 500 or a thousand homes and they need some state money to do it because these are super rural areas we've seen time and time again instances where they might put together a grant application for the state and then one of the monopoly providers comes in and says no no i i serve that location that's already been that's already been done or i'm getting money from some other grant program to get there eventually at some point along the way and then those grant applications uh, fail and those people are stuck with whatever connection they've got or you know eventually that grant might be successful but it's delayed the process of getting those households the connectivity they need and so one of the key points of this new FCC broadband fabric that Christine's been talking about is that it contains a challenge process that lets states say, you see all these data points that these ISPs have entered as being addresses that they serve. Well, we know they actually don't serve there, or we know that the service that they provide there is much, much slower than what they're reporting to you, or it's much less reliable. The fact that that challenge process exists is in our eyes, I think a good and necessary step to letting local organizations and states bring the money that they have to bear to rectify a lot of the broadband gaps which have persisted in this country for so long. Sean, anything you want to add? Man, no, 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 no. That, that, was, that was exactly on point. And I think it's right, the right to highlight how, you know, we think of maps as these neutral things, but in this particular context, they've been sort of weaponized, particularly as a tool to stave off competition for if you're a monopoly provider, you don't want competition. And so you're going to use whatever tools that are out there to help you maintain your monopoly. And that's what's been done previously with the maps. And so this, the, the, the challenge is to be able to cut through all of that noise and have real data in terms of precisely where connectivity challenges are. And particularly as it relates to the challenge process, even within state grant programs, to have a better sense so you don't have a, an ISP come in and claim that they're either currently serving an entire swath of an area or are about to when in fact they're not. I'll just say as a, as a geography major, uh, one of the first textbooks they had us read was How to Lie with Maps. So maps are never a neutral thing. If you're actually looking at who uh, created the data, where the data come from and what, you know, they're all telling a story in some way or another. Rai, I think you had something you wanted to jump in with? Sure. I just wanted to leave the conversation as we wrap up with just two thoughts, which is people might be thinking, 
while this is a big map at the federal level or the states are doing things and that process we know takes a long time. So like, what can we do to make progress today and tomorrow and next week? And it's, you know, organize a speed test in your community yourself, put together the tools and start to solicit speed tests from around your community. And you'll get a sense of, you know, where the problem areas lie and where they don't. But the second thing and equally important is, you know, we've been talking about maps and maps are important. They tell stories that are necessary for policy things. But also if you're a, a local leader or city council and you know that there's a problem, you don't have to wait for a map to start implementing a solution, right? You know where the connectivity gaps are in your community. Probably people are calling city hall all the time complaining about their internet connection being out or that they are stuck on a bad connection and, and remain stuck. And so do something about it. You don't have to wait for the maps to get done to initiate a pilot project and start bringing those connections to bear and then using that momentum to build towards bigger things down the road. One last footnote, because I can't help myself as it relates to, to, to maps and doing something that Rai was just talking about. One thing also I think folks should consider in terms of making sure that this is done as, as well as it can is that at, as it relates to the infrastructure bill, states are going, every state is going to get, I think it's a hundred million for, for broadband. And then on top of that, they're going to get more money based on the amount of unserved location. So if the mapping stuff isn't right, that means potentially there are certain states that could be leaving a lot of money on the table that, that should be coming to the state that they won't get access to because the, the map makes it seem as if there isn't as much of a problem as it really is on the ground. Yeah, I just had one more point I wanted to make too. One, something that Rai mentioned earlier is one new feature of the broadband data collection is a challenge process. And this is something that municipal governments, tribal governments, and state governments can participate in if they want to submit their own version of broadband data, or, you know, if they're, they're finding disagreement with the provider submitted data. So by starting to document where services, like Rai said, it doesn't have to be anything like fancy. You can just start crowdsourcing your own speed test data communities will stand a better chance to challenge these big incumbent providers. They can take it, take it into their own hands. Christine built this map. It's super cool. It's not something we've ever done before. We'll put the link in the show notes, but it's muninetworks.org slash apps slash US broadband map. Go check it out. Yeah. Thanks everybody. I think as I, Sean mentioned, I mentioned earlier, it's such, you know, like there's so much going on. It's such an exciting time. And it feels like such an important moment for you guys to be producing these resources. Like you're putting the tools out there to make sure that we get it right. And that we're not recreating problems, existing problems in the solutions that we're trying to build. So very cool to hear about all this. Thank you guys for sharing. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to everything discussed today by going to ilsr.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That's ilsr.org. While you're there, you can sign up for one of our many newsletters and connect with us on social media. We hope you'll also take the opportunity to help us out with a gift that helps produce this very podcast and supports the research and resources we make available for free on our website. Finally, we ask that you let us know how we're doing with a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. The show is produced by me, Jess Delfiaco, and edited by Drew Birschbach. Our theme music is Funk Interlude by Dysfunctional. For the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, I'm Jess Delfiaco, and I hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of Building Local Power.